Welcome to the WRSU Crew, the revolutionary show to hear all things sports, from your very own Rutgers Athletics to the hot topics in all professional and collegiate sports from around the globe, coming to you from your own Rutgers students. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride with the crew. And welcome to the Wednesday Crew on WRSU. I'm Chris Akonis, Dylan McCoy, and Ariel Duncan joining us today. And this is a milestone for us as a radio station. Why, you may ask? Well, this is the first time in 16 months, 15, 16, I don't know, I'm not a math major. Uh, first time in over a year that we've had an entirely in-person episode of the WRSU crew. All the opals are off and faded down. And it's a nice feeling. It really does feel like we're the crew. Like yes. we're, we're sitting around, we're talking like we are the crew. We're here. We're just, you know, experiencing one another's company like people would normally do like back in those days. And it's 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 really nice. It really is. It feels great to be in studio with you guys. I mean, hey, it's been a few months, uh, like you said, Sacco. Um, but to be re- reunited here in studio feels awesome. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I'm just going to say, because both of you joined last year in the weird COVID year that that was for us, for Rutgers Athletics, for all of sports, for all of the world. It, nothing compares to when you have a packed WRSU crew, three hosts in Studio A, producer, board op in here. Like, it's just a completely different vibe from what you guys have been gotten. There's no one on some uh, creaky underwater opal connection that just, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it's... It's completely different, so I'm yeah. excited for this year. Yeah, you know, but I, I got to say, we we ought to pat ourselves on the back for pulling that off, you know, working remotely, um, like you said, on the Opals, uh, being in different studios, masked up. You know, we really did a great job, I think, um, as a team, working collaboratively through the distance, through the pandemic. It wasn't easy. It was quite challenging, but we did it. We yeah. had a pretty good 2020, and here we are in 2021, reunited fully vaccinated if you're not vaccinated i advise you to do that right away there are a lot of uh places you can go right here in new jersey even right here in new brunswick uh to make sure that you're vaccinated Uh, that's definitely something that we look forward to as we have more people not only in studio but on campus as we return in the fall yeah couldn't have said that better myself a lot to get to in the world of sports um you know a whole lot of stuff going on in baseball we'll get into all of that Euros are also going on over at UEFA, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, game six for Islanders and the Lightning tonight. So um, a lot going on. We'll get we'll get into some of that. But we've also got a very, very special guest. If you don't follow us on Twitter, do so at WRSU Sports. Got a very, very special guest coming up at the bottom of this hour at 630. And that is U.S. Olympian Sidney McLaughlin, New Jersey native. Uh, Going to be sitting down with Ariel Duncan uh, to talk about what her success so far, getting ready for Olympic trials. She's competing, looking to qualify and book her ticket to Tokyo on Saturday. So we're going to be hearing from her at 630. So definitely want to stick around for that. Um, so, you know, Ariel cannot thank you enough for putting in the work to get that interview booked. And I'm excited to hear from Sydney and uh, to hear of, you know, what her mindset is heading into this important event. Yes, yes, it's going to be awesome. Definitely enlightening and enriching. And just how cool is it, you know, to have our one of our own Jersey girls um, join the crew. Um, and the fact that she gets to share this very special moment with us 
um, is is one opportunity that we don't take for granted. So uh, I think it's going to be great. Looking forward to it. Definitely. Me too. Yeah. UC's, UC's finest. <laughs> yeah. Union Catholic. That's right. And I believe Paramus, New Jersey. Um, she went there for high school and broke and set a whole bunch of records in the sport of track and field. That's right, track and field. <laughs> I know she <laughs> still holds uh, the record in the 400-meter hurdles, which is her specialty event. And she may even have a record uh, in the in the long jump, I believe. But we'll, we'll fact check that and uh, as we bring you more. We'll uh, get our researchers yeah, on that. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. But... I want to open the show, before we get to that at the bottom of the hour, I want to open the show with um, some of the shenanigans that are currently going on in Ma- Rob Manfred's Rob Major Manfred, League Baseball. Rob Manfred, you monster. What, Rob what, Manfred's Major what League What have baseball. you made this sport that we just loved? <laughs> now, it's, now it's just pitchers literally just, you know, literally taking their belts off in the middle of the game. Sergio Romo like, pulling his pants down. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it didn't have to be like this. It really didn't. This you're, is this is so much. You're right. There is no real need for pitchers to be pulling their pants down in between innings or in between pitches, for that matter. Um, so let's just talk about how Rob Manfred got us all into this mess. So for the past couple of years, there has been a surge, a lot of pitchers putting some sort of substances on their hands, on their gloves, wherever the case may be, to try and you know, get their spin rate up and you know, get a better grip on the ball. And of course, we know that Major League Baseball has been, you know, playing around with the baseball a few times over the last couple of years. And in the middle of the season, that's really my main problem with this. You know, I'm I'm all for, you know, we don't want substances on the on the pitchers and all that. I get that. I'm not against that. But to just arbitrarily decide in the middle of the season, we're going to start checking pitchers for this randomly, and you know. Letting pit, letting managers decide in the middle of a critical at bat, check this guy for the third time in a single game. I mean, that is just insanity, and it just makes the game of baseball look disorganized, makes the league look like a farce, because it is a farce at this point. Between and, that, and, and now managers can apparently just like ask the umpires to do that, like like the Phillies Nationals game last night. Yeah. Joe Girardi, a man who you know. Close to my heart, you know, have a lot of respect for that guy, but I don't like they and they can just do that arbitrarily. Like, I don't understand. There needs to be a punishment, like, it should be like a challenge. If you really think that that guy has stuff on his wrist or on his glove, then it should be like a challenge. You should be challenging the call of whether that happened or not, and then they should check it. And if you lose, you lose your challenge, you know. Yeah, Ulti- I, I just I don't think it can keep going on where like the the managers can just ask any inning they want whenever like hey go check that pitcher because the pitchers have a right you know they have a rhythm you know being a pitcher is very very rhythmic thing um you know you pitch the same way you do things the same way and and you know anything can break your rhythm and I think it's just it's just another hurdle for pitchers to get over I think we just need to fix the baseball Major League Baseball did this to themselves when they changed the baseball for the season and not only change the baseball, but change the baseball and then sort of turn a blind eye to the substances um, for a couple of years. They saw the spin rates going up. They they they, they knew. Of course they knew. They, it's like saying they didn't know about the steroid epidemic in the 80s and early 90s. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were trying to get interest in the game, and it worked. 
Um, that's not the case as much this time. And I think what a lot of the motivating factors behind this was baseball was turning more and more into a home run or strikeout uh, game. And they saw that the spin rates were going up and they said, you know what, this will, um, you know, get more interest into the game. And it's blown up in their face because of how it was implemented. I can't believe someone like Rob Manfred, who like <laughs> appeals to like a casual audience and he wants to appeal to a casual audience. I don't get how a guy like that is going to be like, you know what we need in the game? More singles and we need more strikeouts and we need more no hitters and we need less offense because that is what is going to appeal to a casual fan base. Like, I love no hitters. Uh, every no hitter this season has been great, and I and I love no hitters. But I don't understand like like for a casual fan, that is not a fun day of baseball. That is a game where they're like, all right, this was pretty boring. But like for me, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, isn't that essentially their job? <laughs> like, no, absolutely. But I think I just don't understand like how he's gonna take this approach when in 2019 they literally went out of their way to juice the baseballs and make. I thought that was fun. I thought that was fine. You know, no one has to take steroids. You can change the composition of the baseball a little bit. And it, the game is still a home run or strikeout. I mean, look at the Yankees. That yeah. is literally their game plan. They're called the Bronx Bombers for a reason. They either hit eight home runs and score 12 runs, or they score no runs with one hit, and they strike out 17 yeah. times. And, and, I mean, let's not act like uh, all the athletes, and, and this doesn't just apply to baseball. Let's not act like all the athletes are clean now and all, all the PEDs and stuff was in the past. That's still very much a part of the game. It's just that yeah. it, it, it's changed in terms of how it's being implemented. But it didn't go away. They gave a couple suspensions here and there to show everyone how they were clamping down on it. And then, you know, uh, that's a whole separate rant. I'm not going to derail the convo by that. But, Dylan, I think you're spot on. And I think what bothers me the most about this is how it was implemented, not just in the fact that they did it in the middle of the season when it would have been much smarter to say, all right, we'll address this after the season, get a set of rules together that we can agree on, that the owners can agree on, that the Players Association can agree on, um, and you know, come up to something that everyone's at least, at the very least, satisfied with. Oh, if only if only in baseball both sides could be satisfied. Chris, <laughs> we might not have baseball next year. I don't know. Like it's The divide is bad. It's bad. The players I, and the owners don't agree on basically anything. I mean, it's basically like we say what you want about the 60-game 2020 season, as weird and bizarre as it was. Uh, put all the asterisks over it you want. That is the only thing possibly from stopping there from not having baseball in 2020 and 2022, having two lockouts in three seasons. That We were very close to that happening. Like the time was running out for them to get a season together. They finally got whatever that was together. Was, they they did a good job for what they what they could yeah, do. Yeah, given the circumstances. They had to bring yes. Toronto to, like, Florida. Or Buff was it Buffalo? It was Buffalo last year, and then they started in uh, Central Florida yeah. this year. Okay, so they brought them to Buffalo, and they did a good job with that. And, I mean, I mean, I mean, the sports leagues did a pretty decent job. I mean, pretty much all of them got all of their games in, you know. And we still had like cool stuff happen. Like the bubble was awesome. We saw the Marlins win a playoff game after basically moving their entire roster three times during the season. Um, but yeah, it it the the twenty twenty season was interesting. But I definitely agree that it's it's a possibility that we don't have it next year in twenty twenty two. And like I don't know what I'm gonna do. How are you gonna take away Mike Trout at bats from? From 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 my viewing, like how are you gonna take away Vlad Jr. at bats? He looks like he's gonna he might win the triple crown this year, and I'm supposed to not watch him next season. 
That doesn't make any sense. Can I interest you in some New York Red Bulls soccer? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, uh, I'm not kidding, but <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if you're open to converting to soccer. Maybe if they like don't have a really good record and then lose in the first round every year, I'd be interested in watching them. We're the Marvin Lewis Bengals of Major League <laughs> Soccer. It happens every year. Every They're, year. So they haven't missed the playoffs since I started watching them in 2010. I'm not like a like a huge MLS follower. No, I know but you're not. I always like hear in like I don't know when the middle of the season is, but I always hear like, oh, New York Red Bulls are great. They have English leading goal scorer playing attack. <laughs> they have like amazing defense, and they finish like second seed in the East, and then and then they just lose. They just they just figure out a way to lose. I. The fate of know. our offense is in the hand of hands of two 18 year olds. Um, one who's going to Europe and the other who's probably going to end up going to Europe. So so we got um, like two years to be good. Uh, yeah, basically. But they always find someone else to replace. That's the thing. It's like they're like a good like a good college basketball team in the sense that they they always lose guys. There's a lot of turnover, but they always like replace them. They always find a way to replace them. They're like them. the B team to, to, to Leipzig. Is I, that what their name is? Uh, Leipzig? Yeah, Leipzig and Salzburg is in Austria. But I don't I don't yeah. they're not quite a B team. The biggest similarity obviously is the ownership, but like they have separate front offices. You don't call a player up like they still have to negotiate. Like, a I just deal. mean like that those teams have like the no, ability to win the no, league. Yeah, and you're the right. You're Red right. Bull are like You're right. Well, they don't have playoffs, but the Red Bull are basically like eighth in like a, a tape i don't even know yeah how to well leipzig it, leipzig made the champions league so like that's their yeah i'm um, not going to derail us into a soccer talk at least not yet um we might get to euros a little bit later on depending on how everyone's feeling but i i think this going back to the point about baseball i think this is just a symptom of the larger problem um through a combination of bad management from the commissioner from ownership and all of that combined with alienating the longtime baseball fans and not really being able to attract the younger generation to the same extent. I mean, Dylan, I know you're a baseball diehard. I'm, I'm more of a casual fan, if I'm being honest. But, you know, there's a reason why so many young people are watching the Euros right now and not to the same extent as they used to 20, 30 years ago. As many people are watching the Yankees and the Mets and especially in some of the lesser markets because New York, New Jersey is still a baseball-heavy area. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be a problem as the older generation uh, gets phased out and the younger generation becomes more and more uh, a backbone of the league. You know, where does baseball go from here? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that baseball can do that are very simple to, you know, um, bring fans back. One thing is... They have local blackouts for you know their events. So if they're if the Yankees are on ESPN or something, like I'm getting an episode of Sports Center. I'm not getting the Yankees. Or like if I pay for MLB TV, which is like $140 a year, which I don't. I don't have MLB TV, but right. I'm saying if I did, it would be like I wouldn't be able to watch the Yankees on it because they would be blacked out, right. which doesn't make any sense. You know, I I don't understand if. If you're going to try to appeal to like a fan base that you're going to block out the team that they enjoy in that area, or if it's like an away fan who's in that area, they don't get to watch their team either. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you bring this up. I actually have run into this issue uh, with the WNBA's league pass. And even for a local Liberty game, you know, they'll block it out on the league pass. Uh, because Amazon has it or another network has it. And it's so frustrating because I am paying, you know, this 
large fee. I mean, actually, what I'm paying is about $16 a month to get this access. And then I, I can't watch it when I want to. Oh, and then they have this three-hour delay um, if if they do broadcast it. Like, so due to the blockout, they'll basically uh, say that I can watch it later through the um, through the app, essentially, just three hours later. And I'm like, I want to watch the game right now. Like, if I wanted to watch it three hours later, I could just read the stats. That's no fun. You go back to 1980 when they... <laughs> but, yeah. you, know what I, you know what I found out? What? Uh, like, I was with my family over the weekend. I found out that Miracle on Ice was broadcast, like... Tape delay. Tape delay. I, mm. I was, I was mind-blown. I, I just didn't know that. Because I, I actually remember reading about it because they the game itself was at, like, 2 p.m. or whatever it mm -hmm. was. And ABC was like, no, we want it in prime time. So we're just going to put it on in prime time. So the however met couple thousand people that were in that arena in Lake Placid knew that the U.S. had beaten the Soviet Union at, like, 4.30. And everyone else just Everyone else found out at 10. When the wow. game ended. I, yeah, see? Wow. You see, for the most part, I'm glad that we've moved on from those days, but I'm not lying. Like, there are times, and I say this as a, you know, mainly like a sock from a soccer fan perspective, or I started getting into Formula One or occasionally I'll watch rugby, whatever the case may be, where there'll be a game on at like six, seven in the morning. It's like, do I really have to get up for that? Like, I'd rather just watch it like whenever I want to or whenever the networks want me to, but I can't do that because, you know, I'm going to see the score and then. Um, you know, it just ruins the whole thing. Or you have to, like, go out of your way to avoid the score. So sometimes I wish we could do that, but ultimately it's better that we're, we've moved on. No, absolutely. I, I couldn't imagine. Like, especially today, like, everyone would already know, so it'd be like, what is, what is the point of this? Well, see, that's the thing that's tricky. You know, I am grateful that sport is now being able to be streamed. Uh, because it is hard to watch games when you're not at the sports bar or if you're not paying for cable, right? I mean, tech, I mean, it's 2021. People want to be able to just watch stuff when they want to. And I feel like we should be able to watch live sports when we want to, um, you know, whether it's online or uh, whatever. But that's the part that I feel like progress uh, needs to be made. Um, I feel like these networks have to figure out how to – make it more accessible uh, without these kind of blackout issues because like I said when you're paying for it especially it's still not quite satisfying um but like I said there is it is better than what it has been I mean for the past few years you really weren't able to stream sports you know you would have to watch it through the cable uh, network providers um but I feel like that's a shift that needs to be made. Um, definitely something that needs to be tweaked. Um, it could be better. I think what the end game is here is we're going to be at a point, be it five years from now, ten years from now, whatever the case may be, where um, there are going to be there's going to be one league. Maybe it's Major League Baseball. Maybe it's the NHL. Maybe it's uh, MLS. Whatever the case may be. I don't think it'll be the NFL, where a team is going to have a league is going to have all of their non-national games. Like, except for the games are on like ABC or NBC or whatever the case may be. Instead of having all these regional sports networks, they're going to be like, all right, you know what? All these like nightly games are going to be on ESPN Plus or whatever the app may be. And then you can just watch whatever team you want. You mm -hmm. can pick what announcers you want. The MLB has like started to do that because during the season, like you get a game or two on ESPN Plus like once in a while. Yeah, that's right. They were one of the first leagues to um, yeah to, to take that initiative. That would be awesome, though. Like ESPN, like 
already does all of the UFC events on ESPN Plus, and I know that's like less events than obviously like Major League Baseball, but they do a pretty good job of that. And ESPN Plus is like affordable to the point where like a lot of people would buy it to watch baseball. If it was five, it's five dollars a month. We'll say it goes up to like like eight dollars a month. Like I would buy that to watch every all every baseball yeah. market. I would buy that. Right, if you can actually access the games in real time yeah then oh that's absolutely worth the buck, right yeah, yeah but when you have these blackout delays it's like hmm am i really getting what i'm paying for that's the catch with this whole thing yeah because when those things were first put together and like you know 15 20 years ago whatever the case may be it was all they were targeting the out-of-market fan so like a yankees fan mm-hmm. in st louis mm-hmm. would buy it and be able to watch the yankees like but now it's because people don't have cable as much anymore and they don't have Yes or SNY or whatever, um, the the people who are buying it have changed and they haven't really adapted to that. And But, you know, that's not – that specifically is not necessarily a baseball problem. That's more of a general sports problem and hopefully it gets resolved. I really like how ESPN structures their UFC thing because uh, I remember I was watching it a bit back when most of the sports hadn't come back yet and they had, like, the undercards on ESPN and then it was like, all right, you want to watch the main event? ESPN+. Plus. It was a good way to like bring people in, and I feel like they sort of get the best of both worlds. So, yeah, I remember those. It was in, it was so weird. Like they just brought fans back like a couple a month or two ago. It was crazy watching people just just fight without fans, and you just heard like three. You heard the corner, and like they would hear the announcers, so they'd react to the announcers. Oh, the atmosphere was interesting. They're still doing events with no fans like now, but. Like they do have events with fans, but it's very interesting. It's uh, if you haven't watched a fight like that without fans, would definitely recommend it. It's a different atmosphere. <laughs> See, it's funny that was the first fight I ever watched because I I was I'm so sports saturated. I was talking about this with Ariel before we went on the air. Uh, she asked me if I'd watch any of the WNBA because I've been meaning to watch the Liberty specifically because you know I'm a New York, New Jersey sports fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously want to. I'll see what Arella has been doing uh, over in LA. Oh um, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, and their season runs in the summer. So I told her, I was like, I, I want to, but I haven't gotten around to it yet because there's so much going on. There's uh, basketball playoffs. There's hockey playoffs. There's um, Major League Baseball doing whatever it wants to do, uh, contends on being an overblown parody of itself. There's the Euros. There was Champions League before. Like, there's so much going on right now. It's a great time to be a sports fan. Just yes. because, like, things are things are coming back at, like, the capacity we saw, like, pre-pandemic and, like, also, this year, the way that all of the schedules are overlapping, it's it's very interesting, and it makes it a, a good time to be a sport. Because, you know, if if it was a regular year, like, the NBA Finals might be, if it was a sweep, it'd be over by now. Um, and, I mean, the NHL would probably be over by now as well. So, it's just, it's very, it's a very interesting dynamic that I'm, that I'm very happy to see. Well, how about, don't forget, you know, we're actually watching the second season of the NBA in the same year, don't forget that. You know the restart. Second finals in yeah, nine the second months. Fi- and that's something. Yes. I mean, oh, just I mean, I'm excited thinking about as much revenue that's been generated. <laughs> that's what makes my mouth water when I think about the NBA on the business side. But at the same time, it's like, like you said, it's a lot uh, going on in sport right now, and uh, that's not usually what's typical. Yeah, if I didn't know any better, I thought you'd be like a sports business major or something like oh, that. Oh, you know. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Funny how that works, huh? Yeah, you know. 
At least one of us picked the right major. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, Chris, you know I'm, I'm not talking about journalism. Chris, I'm talking about economics, you know I'm just so we're clear. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm talking about computer science when you I said that. You guys know I'm still but trying you, to recruit you But you cut that loose. the master's program. You okay. Know that. Okay. You know that. It's not over yet. Right. My right. friends here are still an undergrad. Um, yes, I am in the global sports business master's program. And I don't know. I think Chris Zaconis and Dylan McCoy would be a great fit for that program when they graduate. I appreciate that. My grade point average would probably disagree, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know. It's all about exposure. <laughs> it's all about the exposure. No, yeah. I, I think you guys would qualify. Uh, be easy on yourselves. You, you guys have a lot to offer in your careers, your budding careers, you know. Um, Flowering. Yeah. yeah, seriously. I mean, this is just the beginning. Uh, don't be discouraged, you know. There's still more yeah. time to go. Well, on that uh, positive note, always good to end the segments on a high note. That's going to take us to our first break. Sydney McLaughlin, U.S. Olympian, coming up next at the bottom of the hour. So you're going to want to stick around for that. But that's going to lead us to our first break. You are listening to the Wednesday Crew on WRSU FM New Brunswick. Hello, everybody, and welcome to WRSU FM New Brunswick, broadcasting from top of the Student Center of the College Avenue campus of Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey. I'm your host, Arielle Duncan, the grad student and program director here at WRSU. In anticipation of the Tokyo Olympic Games and U.S. Olympic trials that will be held at the newly renovated Hayward Field in Eugene, Oregon, I have the great pleasure of sitting down with one of the youngest USA track and field Olympians since 1972, when she made her debut at the Rio Olympic Games in 2016, turning just 17 years old days after opening ceremony. Now all grown up, Sydney McLaughlin is now an accomplished world champion in the 4x400-meter relay and is a world silver medalist in the 400-meter hurdlers. Winning both medals in her world championship debut in 2019. She now has sights set for Tokyo Olympic Games held this summer in July of 2021 due to the postponement of the worldwide pandemic. So without further ado, I welcome to our broadcast, Sydney McLaughlin. Hi, Sid. Hi. <laughs> Sid, how are you? For real, for real. I am fantastic. How are you? I'm doing really well. For all of our listeners tuning in right now, first, I'd like to introduce the bridge that connects you, Sid, to our Rutgers Radio broadcast. For those of you who don't know, Sydney's brilliant, beautiful, and humble mother, Mary McLaughlin, was an administrator here at Rutgers, New Brunswick, inside the Exercise Science, Kinesiology, and Health Department over on the Douglas campus for a little over nine years in Lori Gym. And I'll have it be known, Mary was my go-to person for any information I needed, to declaring my undergraduate major in sport management, 
she was the first responder to any general question I had really, and always pointed me in the right direction. Never did I have to deal with the runaround or back and forth. Um, you know, Mary had all of the information from deadline submissions, registration, and even helping me coordinate a slot to take an exam when I needed more time in a quiet place. Mary was my resource. And I'll tell you, Sid, it was nice to have someone calmly and gently give me guidance and reassurance at a time when I felt so out of place. So with all of that being said, I just, I just really wanted to uh, shout out all of the administrators, staff, and faculty um, here at Rutgers. Without their diligence and efforts, students like me would not be able to maneuver so smoothly. So shout out to Mary McLaughlin. And that's your mom. Does that yeah. sound at all like her? Absolutely. She is the most giving, selfless, humble woman I know. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. And you know, so at the time when I was an undergraduate student here at Rutgers, there was so much buzz in the department and so much excitement all over New Jersey, really, buzzing about this brother and sister duo who's just lighting up the track, setting records and making New Jersey a national headlines in the sport of track and field. Do you know if you still hold any of those high school records here in New Jersey? I think a couple of them, yeah. Um, I know the 400 hurdles for sure. I have to check on some of those other ones because I mean, these girls are getting fast out here, so. I mean, I tell you, like, I leave and they just get faster and faster. You leave, they get faster and faster. It blows my mind. Absolutely. <laughs> So I finally put it all together when I'm talking to the exercise science department director uh, at the time, Dr. David Fakely, about these kids who were just making all this noise in high school right here in New Jersey. And he goes to me, you know, those are Mary's children, right? I'm like, Mary up front? My, <laughs> my jaw just dropped and I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. This is so cool. Um, coming from the sport of track and field myself, I really felt centered and as if I was in the right place. So much respect and much appreciation for you joining us, Sid. Thank you so much. You're always welcome here. Appreciate that. Thank you. So we're interested in learning a little more about you, Jersey girl. Tell us about your grassroots. Is it true that you're born in New Brunswick? I actually, yes, I was born in New Brunswick um, on a cold Saturday night. But um, yeah, Jersey is home and grew up there most of my life and honestly I, I live I basically lived in New Brunswick I like not literally but I remember coming to Rutgers all the time with my mom uh, I would be on campus all the time and um, now that I live in LA I really wish I could get back to Jersey more uh, it's been a little bit difficult with this whole pandemic but um, I actually think in the next couple of weeks I'm going to try and get out there there actually might be a meet out there so um gonna go home and and see the fam and just get back to you know where it all started i love that that's so essential i think for anybody uh, living out on their own as an independent woman like you tell me what's it like working in the sport industry it's intense but it's also so rewarding um you know five six days a week training and uh two to three hours a day on the track, whatever it is. But there's so much opportunity that I'm super grateful for. Um, I can look at the, the obstacles and 
it's easy to get fixated on them, but I also have to remember all the blessings that come with it and just the opportunity to be in the position that I'm in. Um, sports, not just track, has just opened up such an you know opportunity to meet other people in different sports and um, you know even though I run around an oval for a living, I've learned a whole lot of life lessons through it. So that's awesome. Can you tell me who you're sponsored with and how being sponsored helps you in your career? Yes, I am. I'm sponsored by New Balance. Um, I've been such a big fan ever since high school. You know, I remember wearing their stuff all the time. And uh, being sponsored, it, it, you know, it's awesome because, especially in a sport like track, you know, shoes are essential. You know, I'm running through shoes all the time, and it's been a really great partnership. Just because, you know, New Balance definitely feels like family for me. Um, I feel heard, I feel like I have a voice, and um, they care about not only Sydney the athlete, but Sydney the person. And, you know, uh, in a sport like track, you know, it, it's awesome to have a, a sponsor behind you helping um, support you, but also, you know, you gotta, you gotta pay your way through it too. <laughs> totally understandable. I wanna ask you, you know, when your spikes are off and you put on your social justice cape, are there any issues that have taken to heart for you? Um, man, I think it's been such an intense year uh, for so many, for so many different reasons. And, you know, in, in terms of the platform that I've been given, I constantly just want to make sure that the information that I'm sharing is true information. And I'm standing up for what I truly believe is right and what you know, not just what everybody else is telling me to say, not what everybody wants me to say, um, but what I truly believe. And I think there's so much misinformation and so much just negativity out there in the world in general. Um, I constantly want to make sure that what I'm projecting and what I'm putting out there is stuff that's going to help people, that's going to have a positive impact, um, and is ultimately going to just be the truth. So. Um, I think if, if there's one thing I want to be able to do, it's, you know, share as much truth with people as possible. Right on. I feel the same exact way. <laughs> so I want to get into a little bit of your, uh, technique, um, within your race. Actually, before I do that, let me get this straight. So what races will you be contesting in, uh, for the Olympic trials? I will be running the 400 hurdles. Okay. That's it. Okay. Yeah. I, I noticed that you were uh, training with the 100 meter dash mm -hmm. hurdles this mm -hmm. season. How has that helped you uh, in preparation uh, for the main event? Yeah, the short hurdles are definitely a little bit different cadence than the 400 hurdles, but um, just this, the speed and quickness of the race has definitely helped me with my hurdle technique. Um, and being more efficient over the hurdles so that once I can open up my stride length in the 400 hurdles, it's gonna come a lot more fluidly. I noticed um, also within your running technique, you draw so much power from your upper body, from your arms, and you exhibit such strength. Um, what does Coach Kersey have to say about the way that you're able to close in your race? You know, Coach, 
Percy, Bobby. He uh, He's always telling me that the race really starts with 150 to go. Um, and that's where the arms, the technique, all of those things come into play. And, and it's in my race specifically, the most important part of the race. So uh, we definitely focus a lot on that and make sure that's one of the focal points of our training. What would your training partners have to say about your strength? Is it true that you're still training with um, Olympian gold medalist Allison Felix? That is correct, yeah. Wow. You know, we Bobby gives us some intense workouts sometimes, and uh, the, the distance for me may be a little bit longer just because my discipline um, is a little bit longer. But I, I think, you know, myself as well as them um, are just very strong athletes based off of the training that has been given to us. Uh, Bobby definitely makes sure he pushes us in that regard. And um, there's there's the training aspect, but I also think there's just the physical, natural strength as well. And I think for both me and Allison and our disciplines, it's crucial to have that. Yeah, I mean, just an outsider looking in, I really feel confident when I say that, you know, you're that brilliant combination of God-given talent with hard work. And I think it clearly um, shows in your performance um, that you can't have one necessarily without the other and reach this level. Um, So I tip my hat off to you for that. It's not easy. Um, So my next question would be, what's your why? I mean, track and field is so hard, (laughs) if I'm being honest. What's your why? what are your driving forces that motivate you? I think, well, thank you for your last comment. Um, I think for a long time, my why was simply because I believe that track is what I was born to do. I believed it's who I was. I believed it was my life. Um, but over this past year and kind of just growing in my faith, it really has kind of shifted to track is not who I am, but it's what I do. Um, and my why, you know, now more than ever is really just to glorify God, um, through the gifts that I've been given and, you know, whether I come in first place or last place, whether I run really fast or really slow, um, that's always going to be my purpose is to, to give glory back to him. So track is just the form in which I do that. Olympic trials nearly approaching. Do you feel prepared? I'm wondering where do you fall on your personal scale of preparedness? Mm. I think we're on the right track. Absolutely. We're about a month out and right now we're really kind of just fine tuning the things that we see in practice that may need to be adjusted. Um, We're going to open up in about a week or two. And then from there, it's kind of just focusing on being top three. Tell us about the moment, the feeling of opening ceremony. I actually wasn't at opening ceremonies. Um, I decided with my parents that I was going to stay home because opening ceremonies was during my 17th birthday. So we skipped the ceremonies to throw a birthday party. Uh, And then I flew to Rio after. But I was there for the closing ceremonies, and that was really cool. Can you tell us who are some of your favorite athletes 
inside the sport and track and field. And listen, this could be of all time, living or dead, uh, past, current. I'm curious to know who are some of your favorite athletes within the sport of track and field? I definitely would have to say Jackie Joyner Kersey. Uh, she, you know, I talk to her so often now, um, just working with Bobby and she has so much knowledge and so much wisdom to give from her years in the sport. Uh, you know, Bobby's constantly saying that uh, I remind him of her in just my training. So it's really cool just to have that resource and that outlet from someone who's been there and, and accomplished a lot of the things that I want to do. Um, of course, I would say Allison. Um, just the consistency throughout her career and the poise that she's been able to keep in doing so is, you know, something that I admire so much. Um, and lastly, um, Sonia Richards-Ross. Uh, I had a, a great opportunity kind of just to sit down and talk with her a couple weeks ago. Someone I grew up watching and really is one of the people who inspired me to want to go to the Olympics and just seeing these people in real life and having conversations with them and, and learning from women who have accomplished the things that I'm trying to accomplish. Um, it just helps so much to know that some of the things that you're feeling or thinking are not abnormal. So Brilliant. You know, Sonia Richards-Ross is my all-time favorite, too. <laughs> so we have that in common. She's amazing. Yeah. Anyone outside the sport that you idolize? I don't think I idolize anybody. Um, I admire people, and I look up to them. I think my mom, for sure, is one of those people. Uh, just watching her over the years and how she's carried herself in all different arenas of life. Um, I just really admire how she handles herself and, and also cares for the people around her. So we're on a radio show and I'm curious to know, who do you listen to? What tunes get you pumped up and ready to go? Actually, I listen to Jersey Club music. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, it started in high school and kind of just the beats you know they kind of just get me hyped so that's that's really kind of my go-to it's nothing like it no nothing like it jersey club shout out to all the jersey club djs yeah absolutely <laughs> so listen no matter if we're in the classroom or just out in the real world i wonder what are you now learning in your current situation about yourself and your connection to the world mm. It's a great question. I think one thing I'm definitely learning is just using my platform for for good and for a positive message. Um, there are a lot of people that are looking at me, a lot of people that are looking up to me and, and just curious to see how I'm going to conduct myself and what I'm going to share and whether that's in track or just in life. And I think what I'm learning is that's a really big responsibility and um, just learning how to manage that properly and well and steward it and the gift that I've been given the right way. Um, because I, I remember growing up wanting to have someone to look to, you know, for those kinds of things. So um, kind of just growing into that space for sure. Brilliant. Sydney McLaughlin, thank you so much. You make us proud. 
good luck out there. Thank you so much. Yes. Yes, and that was the lovely Sydney McLaughlin. Watch Sydney dash her way through the track and field Olympic trials, uh, competing in her specialty event, the women's 400-meter hurdles, Friday, this Friday, June 26th at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Also for her semifinals race, Saturday, June 27th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And catch her final, her final uh, of the 400-meter hurdles, Sunday, June 28th, um, for a special event on NBC Sports at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Now, just to elaborate a little more, Coach Kersey trained many elite athletes, including his wife, Olympic gold medalist Jackie Joyner-Kersey. Jackie is among the all-time greatest athletes in the heptathlon as well as the long jump. She won three gold medals, one silver, and two bronze Olympic medals in those two events at four different Olympic Games. Also, Jackie Joyner-Kersey's brother, Al Joyner, is the 1984 Olympic gold medalist in the triple jump and is, was also husband to the late, great Florence Griffin Joyner, the fastest woman of all time, as her record in the 100-meter dash still stands at 10.49 seconds, set in the year 1988. Griffith Joyner qualified for the 100 meters in 1980 Olympics, although she did not actually compete due to the United States boycott of the 1980 Olympic Games. She made her Olympic debut, however, four years later, winning a silver medal in the 200-meter distance at the 1984 Olympics held in Los Angeles. And yes, so later after that, the 1988 is where... Um, she basically set that record, which still stands. Can you believe that? I mean, I tell you, Flojo, on another exciting note, Tiffany Haddish will star. It's been confirmed in recent news that the bright-famed actress and comedian Tiffany Haddish will star as Flojo in the upcoming biopic film. And uh, she says that she's looking forward to telling Flojo's story the way it should be told, according to uh, Deadline. Uh, she says that her goal is within the film, uh, making sure that younger generations know uh, what she calls her shero, Flojo, the fastest woman in the world to this day existing. Incredible. And, you know, another special shout out while we're on this women's track and field note. Um, let me get this right. Katura Orji from Mount Olive, New Jersey. She's the 2016 Olympian in Rio and former American record holder in the triple jump. Um, Ketura Orji, she's the winner of the 2018 NCAA Women of the Year and graduate from the University of Georgia. Let me tell you, she just earned uh, her ticket to Tokyo uh, as she t is a leader in the triple jump. She actually earned her degree in financial planning and is already on her way to Tokyo. She clinched that just last week. And on the last note for the women's track and field, how about Shakari Richardson, who blazed down the track in the 100-meter dash like a phoenix to clinch the top spot at the U.S. Olympic trials? She's a ball of energy, 
flamboyant, and absolutely dazzling. I can't wait to see what she can do competing against Jamaica's Shelly Ann Fraser-Price. It'll be exciting. So listen, tune in. The Olympic trials resume this Thursday. The track and field Olympic trials is broadcasted on, on NBC and is also available to stream on Peacock um, and NBCOlympics.com. And also you can find more information through the NBC Sports app. And yeah, there you have it, guys. For our latest news in uh, women's sports of track and field. Yeah, I mean, first off, awesome that uh, should be able, she was able to spend a few minutes uh, with us on the WRSU crew. I mean, incredibly busy, not just with you know training and preparing for the Olympics and the Olympic trials, but you know everyone wants to cover. She's one of the biggest Olympic athletes out there. And the fact that she was willing and able to give us her time on the crew was just amazing. And, you know, she's had a great career so far. I'm excited to see what she can pull off uh, at the trials and in Tokyo. Um, and, you know, just as you mentioned, a lot of a lot of great history with uh, um, U.S. track and field. And um, now we're seeing her become the next chapter in that story. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Such a hu- humble woman. That Sydney McLaughlin and, um, you know, she's she's so young. You know, it's really just the beginning of her standout career. Can't wait to see what she does in this Olympic trials. We wish her all the best um, as she gets ready to compete for uh, one amazing opportunity. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Once again, amazing that you were able to get an interview with someone who's about to be a multiple time Olympian, a, a battleist. Like it, 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 it's a lot. And it was, it's pretty awesome to have on, on WRSU. Yeah. So listen, everybody, you've been listening to WRSU FM Rutgers radio. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support, but don't go anywhere. We're going to step aside for a moment. We have a lot of fun topics coming up. We have a lot of interesting sports topics on deck for hour two, this is The Crew on 88.7 WRSU-FM, New Brunswick.